0: So I am Kate Middleton, so we can get that over right at the beginning, that I'm not that Kate Middleton. My daughter would like to be called the princess for the rest of her life, though, so she thinks that's quite good. We, um, we've recently moved back from France. We spent a couple of years living near Paris. And when we first moved there, we lived in a relatively small village on the western edge of Paris. And um, we, they have a drinks stew every September, because, you know, it's France, so that's what you do, you drink wine, to welcome newcomers to the village. And uh, we were chatting to the mayor, because it's France, that's what you do. And um, another woman who we didn't know ran up in French and said, oh, quick, 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 have you heard Philippe? Because he was actually called Philippe. I, it's just great. And um, she said, have you heard Kate Middleton's moving to our village? And I was like, yeah, was just, there's nowhere good to go from that. And I had a similar thing in Starbucks here when we just moved back. And because I haven't done Starbucks for a long time, you know, they ask your name. And so without thinking, I just said Kate Middleton. And the guy did a little bit of a double take. And then he went away uh, because it was a long queue to get my order. And, of course, when they finished my drink, they yelled, this is at King's Cross, to the whole of the crowded Starbucks, um, hot chocolate for Kate Middleton. And the entire place went silent. (laughs) And I did just think, I'm just going to be such a disappointment now. Anyway... But none of that has anything to do with what I'm going to talk about. Um, So I'll tell you a little bit about me. As as Andy said, I'm a psychologist by background. I actually started out as a medic. um, And I work with a church just across in Hitchin, so not so far from here. But I'm also one of the team behind Mind and Soul. So we're a national organization and we're really passionate about emotional health. And specifically trying to encourage the church to engage with that. But for me personally, I uh, I work for a church. I'm involved in running that organization. I uh, work freelance as well, so I've written a bunch of books and stuff. I have two kids. I have a husband who's a city lawyer, I had a cat and so I get quite stressed basically so if you've come here hoping to hear from some amazing person who has all the answers to stress and never gets stressed then I I, I don't want to be a disappointment so we should start out by making that clear you know I have a four-year-old boy at home uh, who screams a lot so we all get quite stressed in our household but hopefully that won't last too much longer. And I guess with stress, the thing is, is that I don't know what's brought you here, but we all want to think that everything's okay. Uh, we like to go through life just thinking, well, we're, we're managing stuff, fine. Nobody likes to think, actually, I'm having some trouble here. Um, but what, how would things change if the way that we thought about our emotional health was the same as how we thought about our physical health? So I don't know what you guys did at the weekend, but the chances are that through the weekend, through the week, you probably do some things to try, depends how enthusiastically, probably depends on the time of year, but to try and do something about your physical health. So we're not so far from New Year's resolutions. A bunch of you probably maybe joined a gym, perhaps started trying to eat healthier. I don't know, whatever it is that you do. So what if we thought about our emotional health the same way? Because we tend to only talk about emotional health when we're unwell. But we all have emotional health, all of us. I do, you guys do, everybody does. So why do we wait for it to go wrong before we start to think about it? And stress is a really significant issue when we're thinking about our emotional health. What affects how well we're doing day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. Because we like to think about emotional health... Like, there are sort of two boxes. I always think we like to have this two-box model of emotional health. So on, on one side, there's a bunch of people here who are basically in the happy box. So this is the box that hopefully most of us are in. You were reasonably lucky. You had a pretty good start in life. Things have gone reasonably well, and you're basically fine. Thank you very much. Then over here, we have the other box, which is those other poor people who perhaps didn't have such a good start, bless them. They have some issues with their emotional health. Um, You know, things aren't going so well. And every once in a while in life, we hear about somebody. Maybe it's a mate of ours, someone you work with. And you suddenly hear, maybe you hear, gosh, they're really struggling with depression or they've had a bit of a breakdown or or, um, they're, they're struggling with anxiety or whatever. And someone who was, you thought they were in this box all along. Who knew, really, they were over here? And of course the truth is, is that emotional health is is not about boxes, it's about a line. And wherever you start out on this line, which can have a lot to do with how lucky you are with what life throws at you when you're younger, people move up the line, people move down the line. And as you get older, one thing that you learn is that life throws stuff at you, doesn't it? You know, we all have this great life plan when we're teenagers. We think what we're going to do and where we're going to be. When I was a teenager, you know, it was all about the year 2000 and I'm very at risk of giving away my age, but there was, did anybody else, there was a blue pizza box which they'd buried, and they were going to dig up in the year 2000. Yeah, some of you, I know, yeah, we're all just that old. And I was, I used to think and dream about this mythical year 2000, what would I be doing? And I wasn't doing any of those things when it got to the year 2000, mostly because I wasn't as old as I thought I would be when I was that old. But my daughter, who's 10, has informed me that you're not old officially until you're 54, which is really precise i don't know why but there you go so that might make some of you feel better but we have this life plan but life (laughs) i know everybody's like oh my goodness i never knew (laughs) but life throws things that nobody ever puts in their life plan to um to lose their job suddenly you know you walk into work one day you're called into the office that's it my husband's firm are doing cuts at the moment oh my goodness His boss was cut just the other week, made redundant just like that. That's never in your life plan. No one has in their life plan um, losing a baby or hitting infertility. No one has in their life plan, you know, um, I don't know, whatever it is, struggling with depression. The things that life throws at you that are difficult. And we like to think that we're super people. We like to think that we can handle anything that life throws at us that we can go through and nothing will ever hit us. But it's all too easy to get to a point where actually you're just feeling really rough and you don't know what to do about it. And inside your head, there's this whole stuff going on. And I, I like to think that life is a bit like trying to get a boat across, across a, an ocean. And sometimes storms come, don't they? And sure, some of us have, uh, have things that because of our past, maybe because of our personalities, we have weak points like holes in our boat, so maybe, maybe you're always bailing a little bit of water out, but it's basically fine. That's what most of us are like. Very few of us are perfect, totally stable. We all have some things under the surface. But sometimes you sail into a storm, and before you know it, the waves are coming over, and you're having to bail loads and loads more, and that's stress. The question is, is stress more common now than it used to be? And um, there's a bunch of stats. You've got them bigger than I have. I haven't got them very big. But nearly half of adults say that they feel stressed every single day. We know that. So I think stress is a lot more common than we think it is. Um, let me lean, I'm sorry, I've got to lean in what, 59% of adults say their life is more stressful now than it used to be. I don't know how that feels for you. Very often the question that people will ask is, is life more stressful now than it used to be? And the thing about stress is that um, there's a couple more stats and stuff up there. But we like to think that it's a bit of a weakness. We can see from the way we talk about it. You know, when I come home, my, my daughter has just texted me just before tonight to say the earth shattering news that she has found her library book which is good because I was quite stressed about our library book situation at the weekend because we currently owe uh, quite a lot of money to our local library for a lot of books that we, A, haven't read, and B, as far as I can figure out, don't actually have. So this is quite stressful. And I did threaten in a low moment on Sunday afternoon to cut up my daughter's library card. (laughs) Which, uh, yeah, anyway, so... So we were, and she said to me on Sunday, she said, Mom, will you stop stressing out? Why are you so stressy about this? So what she's seeing there is that I am emotional. She feels I'm not being sufficiently rational about the situation. She feels it's not as serious as I am acting. So we talk about stress that it's like that. It's about when you get stressy. But as a, as a physiologist, as a clinician, my understanding of stress is quite different and stress really is about what your body and your brain have to do all the time. Whenever the, the circumstances around you create a demand on you. So from the minute your alarm goes off in the morning, you are experiencing stress. How much stress probably depends on your household. You know, if you've got to get kids up and out, then probably quite a lot of stress. My household is not the calmest in the mornings. But You've gone from asleep, and basically when you're asleep, that's your lowest stress baseline, hopefully. So when your alarm goes off immediately, your brain is having to process stuff. What's the time? Am I late? Um, Shall I have toast or cereal, tea or coffee? Who have I got to get up? All of those things your brain is having to do. So that's physiologically, psychologically, it's stress. Not because you're stressed out, but because you're having to do things. So the first thing to learn and remember about stress is that it isn't all in your mind. It's a real whole body, whole mind, whole brain reaction. And you have a stress system throughout your body, which is about moderating your response to everything in the world around you, your attention, your focus, um, even things like how hot or cold you are. All of this stuff is down in part to your stress system. So it's so much more than just your emotional response to stuff. Anytime that you have to adapt in any way to the world around you, your stress system is being triggered. So when I talk about the level of stress in your life, I'm not just saying those moments when, like me on Sunday, you get a bit stressy. I'm talking about the level of demand that your body and brain are under day to day because of whatever it is that you're doing or trying to keep up with. So what we need to remember is that stress is about preparing us to act or to react to whatever we're trying to do in life. So it could be something that life's thrown at you or it could be just the demands that you're placing on yourself because of the circumstances you're in. And at different times in life your stress level will vary depending on how much stuff you're juggling, what's going on, exactly where you're at. And the thing with your stress level is that it's very good at coping with those sort of short-term absolute dramas. So um, hopefully you've got a picture on your screens. I love this picture of the guy on the canoe. You got the picture? Yeah, yeah. So he is about to have one of those short-term stress moments when he turns around and looks behind him, right? And your stress system is really good at that. So if you guys go out of here tonight and you come out and you go and look for your car or whatever, and a bear jumps out from behind another car at you, which from what I understand about Watford is unlikely, but never impossible, because you never quite know, um, you stress system your fight or flight system as you'll probably have heard it referred to will respond to that really really well it prepares you to re- to react it helps you assess the situation it helps your brain analyze what's going on and it helps you decide what to do but the same system is involved in different in different ways in lots of other things about your life but it's basically the same system so the, the message about stress is that it isn't about being weak. So often if we say, oh, someone, they're a bit stressed out, or oh, he had to take time off because of stress, what we mean is, oh, you know, they're, they're not up to it. I know my husband, because he's a, he's a lawyer, um, he had someone come in, apparently there was someone at work who in their first week in his job did the fatal thing of they cried in a meeting. And he was like, oh, no way, they're, they're not going to last a month. He said, they just can't cut it, can't take the stress. That's how we talk about stress. We see it as a weakness. I was like, but they could be a brilliant lawyer, absolutely fantastic strategist, amazing manager of people. He's like, yeah, but they can't take it. I don't know, actually, if that person ever did last because he left that job and moved to a different one anyway. But that's how we treat it. We say it's a sign of weakness. And we look down on people who are struggling with stress, but it's actually just a sign of being human, which is a good thing. No, it is. It's a good thing. So those, some, often people aren't sure. it's a good thing to be human, and therefore, as humans, we will experience stress. And the thing about humans is, not only do we experience stress, but we are more prone to stress, particularly now, than perhaps we've ever been. <clears throat> so there's aspects of our world now that make stress more relentless that um, raise our stress level. one of them, of course, is social media. So as, as human beings, as human animals, one of the things that marks us out as different from the rest of the sort of animal kingdom is our incredibly complex social world, our use of language, the relationships that we have. But now, thanks to social media, they're not just the people who you're physically present with. You can be having conversations, social contact with a whole bunch of people who you've never even met, Right now, as I'm speaking, some of you are probably in contact with loads of people who aren't here, because you're texting, you're tweeting, maybe you're on Facebook, whatever. And the thing is, is that social challenges are a part of stress for us. Your brain has to do a lot of work to keep up with that stuff, particularly in certain times in your life. So those of you who work with or who have at home teenagers will know that one of their biggest stresses, and my daughter's 10, but apparently that's teenage now, Um, is from their social relationships. My daughter, it's like an episode of Hollyoaks, just driving her home from school in the car. The things that are going on, who's talking to two, who's falling out with who, it's, it's chaotic and complex. And the thing is, she's just 10. In about four or five years' time, that won't stop when she walks out of school because she'll come home and she'll log on. And those dramas will continue all the time. So when do our teenagers switch off? from their social world. They don't, a lot of them don't even at night. A lot of the teenagers I speak to have real problems sleeping, which is something we'll talk about later. And it's because of the relentless nature of their social world, they can't switch off and they're terrified they'll miss something if they actually switched off and go to sleep. The other thing, uh, another thing that that as human beings we do is um, we have this great system where we exist not just with the emotion and dramas and the stress of the current moment, we like to also carry around with us um, the stresses of another time in the future of things that may never happen. <clears throat> As psychologists, we call these anticipatory emotions, everybody else just calls it worry. And you know, um, Tolkien fans, it's like the mirror of Galadriel. It shows you what, what, what things that may yet come to pass, may yet. Most of the things we worry about never actually happen. But we experience stress for them almost as though they were happening again and again and again and again because if you're anxious your mind brings things back round and round and round so we worry about things we 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 fret and we experience a lot of stress with them some of you will be more prone to that than others some people's brains have this very round and round pattern it 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 tends to make you good at lots of things you'll be good at juggling lots of things um good good at managing lots of things but it makes you more prone to worry I often say to my husband, that I think lawyers are basically professional nitpickers. So they're very like that. They're very good at constantly running things through, constantly picking things up. Um, So some of you might be like that too. And then the other thing that we have as humans that is a challenge to our stress system is the mundane. So I don't know how many of you commute to work. Probably quite a few people commuting into London from here. Whether you drive or get the train that's been shown as if, if you have a commute over like half an hour, it's been, that immediately raises your risk of problems with stress. Why? It's not particularly stressful. In fact, you might say it's totally boring. But it actually places quite a lot of stress on your mind and body. So driving in particular, because you might be bored stiff, but your brain is doing loads. You're having to analyse different speeds, keep an eye on lots of different things, hopefully keep an eye on where you're going and not miss your turn. Lots of stuff. If you're um, catching the train, you've got to catch it on time. You're constantly thinking about when you'll get there. There's a lot of stuff going on in your mind. So we manage a lot of mundane tasks, which can be strangely stressful. Now, they're not stressful in that you're stressed out. If you get stuck in a traffic jam, you probably are stressed out. But even your everyday commute, when it's just boring and mundane and normal, it's stressful to your brain because it's having to do a lot in those moments. So if you think of it, stress as like being poised at the start of a race, it's about getting you ready, responding to those short-term dramas, fight or flight, I'm ready to go, whatever the world throws at me. But what if you're in that state a lot of the time? It's fine at the beginning of a race or in, when the bears jumped out or... When, you know, your daughter's just told you that, you know, tomorrow's World Book, Book Day and she needs a costume by tomorrow. Does anybody else got kids of that age now? Yeah, I have two. Two children for World Book Day. It's great. Anyway, <laughs> but what if it's a longer-term stress? And the thing is, is that your body was never designed to cope with long-term raised level of stress. We're quite good at those little dramas, but it's when they start to become more constant that we have problems. So if you think of your stress level as like standing in a pool, if you imagine that I'm in a big pool of water, you can think of your stress level as a bit like the water level in that pool. So it's, it's a huge simplification, but that water level represents... Lots of things, but also very real physical things. It's the level of certain hormones in your body, for example, that respond to stress. It's the level of things that trigger changes in things like how much sugar you carry in your blood. Because when you're poised for action, your body secretes sugar, raises your blood glucose levels, so that you have lots of energy. So there's lots of physiological things that go on when your stress system is triggered. Now, when the water level is relatively low, that's our baseline... We're basically fine. And when life sends little stresses at you, they're like waves in that pool. And we can manage that absolutely fine. It's not really a problem. But we all have a theoretical crisis point when the water level or the hormone level and all the levels of those things in our stress system has got to a point where we're going to struggle to manage it because we are human beings. And if you get to that point... You might notice some physical stuff, because your body will struggle with being activated like that long term. Um, You'll also notice some emotional stuff, because your whole brain will be trying to tell you that you're at crisis point. So when you get to this point, things start to feel quite uncomfortable. You start to be aware of feeling stressed. Your emotions are triggered much more easily, because your brain's on a kind of hyper alert. You feel on edge, you're aware of it when the water levels up to here. And you feel like a big wave and you could go under. And those are the days, you know, when when somebody comes home and, and you know, your husband drops a mug or something and it's just the worst thing in the world, you know. I, I, had a th- I had a thing at church the other day where um, I just had one of those mornings because I work in a church with just loads of things going going wrong and having to juggle lots of stuff. And at one point, at a crucial moment, my husband came over to me and whilst I was trying to deal with something, mouthed at me from the same said, what's for lunch? <coughs> now, I was a bit at that point, so that wasn't really the best question to ask me at that point. And I, I made some suggestions. Let's just leave it at that. So sometimes we have days like that where we started out okay, the base level was low, but just life has been throwing stuff at you all day. The kids were a nightmare, you know, the dog was sick, you were late for work. Then you found out a report you thought was due tomorrow was actually due yesterday. Just all day it's been like that. We've all had days like that. And it's like... You never get time for the water level to drop down again, because normally you have a stress and then you relax and it goes back down again. So you get to a point where, you know, you're feeling like you've gone under. You need, you need your periscope just to get around and see. We all have moments like that. But there are other ways as well that our stress level can become a problem. Hopefully that one, if your significant others have any sense, they go away, make you a nice cup of tea, or if it's a bit later, another appropriate beverage, and they leave you alone for a little bit to calm down. That's, and then your stress level drops down and hopefully you're back to being a reasonably rational human being. But there are other ways where you can get pushed up to that crisis level. One of them is if you're going about your everyday life and something happens, life throws something at you and you're hit by a massive wave of stress. These are the, you know, the 3 a.m. phone calls, the, the live dramas, the things that you didn't think you were going to have to deal with that day. Uh, maybe a a significant trauma. You you, you crash your car on the way to work or something really dramatic happens. And in those moments, your stress system floods your body with so much in terms of your response that it's genuinely difficult for you to cope with. And these are situations where we see what we call an acute stress reaction in the moment, which is where after it's happened, you, you just physically, you feel really rotten because your body's just been flooded with these chemicals. And emotionally, you can struggle as well. But also with some of the traumatic situations, we can see things like post-traumatic stress disorder, where your body's trying to process what happened, your brain's trying to process what you just experienced. So sometimes life throws things at us that are incredibly stressful, either because they're very significant to us, they trigger a lot of emotion, or because they're very traumatic. The most common way for people to struggle with this stress level, this water level though, is when that baseline just gradually seeps up, you know, y- your year starts reasonably well, and then things are just busy at work, and y- your kids are quite busy, and you've, you've been doing that thing outside work, that voluntary thing that you really want to do, and you really love to do it, but it does take up a lot of your time, and then you start to realize you're getting behind with things, and just gradually your stress level is creeping up, and it's like Although at the end of each day you do relax a bit, it never quite drops back down to the bottom, and just bit by bit over time you become aware of gradually starting to feel more and more tense. We all have moments like that. Life will it will chuck things like that at you. But the risk is is that you get to a point where your baseline becomes so raised that in effect you're like this guy you're walking underwater. You're struggling through life the whole time with your stress levels. Way up here. And the thing is, is that that has lots of impacts on you. Your your body just isn't designed to cope with that. So if we think about some of the physiological changes, like I talked about, things like changes to your blood pressure, to your blood sugar level, to all kinds of things in your body... Your body doesn't function as well. So, short term, you might notice some problems headaches, digestive stuff. Because when we're stressed, your stress system turns off your sort of background housekeeping systems like. Digesting stuff. So problems with digestion, indigestion, stomach cramps, all that kind of stuff. Headaches, really common. A lot of people get referred to me because they're really struggling with headaches. Tension stuff going on. Other things to do with tension. Did you know when you're, when you're stressed, you carry it physically? I have a friend who's an, an osteopath. And she's amazing. I used to see her quite regularly. And um, she could tell when I was working one-to-one with a client who was really distressed And it got to the point where she would say, are you working working with someone who's like really, really unwell at the moment, really distressed? And I'd be like, that's uncanny. I've just come from a really, you know, it's really difficult. And she's like, I can totally tell from the tension in your neck. So you carry stuff physically when you're that stressed. So physical tension, aches and pains, problems with necks, joints, all of those sorts of things are much more common when you're struggling with long-term high stress. Emotionally, though, you know, to be living like that is exhausting. You're constantly dealing with stress and your brain is constantly on alert. It's just not designed to be like that. So you will start to struggle because you're getting tired. Um, You'll find that you're much more emotional than normal, that you're overreacting to little things. And eventually, everybody, it doesn't matter how superhuman you are, you, you have a limit. You have a point where you hit what we would call burnout, where somewhere you got pushed over the line. And some people managed for an incredibly long time with an incredibly high level of stress. And sometimes life asks us to do that, doesn't it? You know... I'm, i 'm not being recorded tonight, so I can tell you that my parents are about to move to my town sometimes like, so you get sometimes you hit moments in life you 're caring for elderly relatives or you 've just had a baby because you know they 're stressful, um, or work is incredibly stressful, like my husband you 're at a time where they 're making redundancies he 's like oh it 's such fun every time someone gets called into the boss 's office, you wonder if they 're going to be going to clear their desk afterwards it 's such a joy. These are stressful times, and some, some of us, life hits them and you manage to coast through them. You know, your boat sails into a storm, you bail like crazy, and somehow you get through. But some of, sometimes, you hit a point and you can't manage. And what happens then is it's a genuine You've just hit your limits. And when we talk about burnout, we used to talk about people having a breakdown. These days we normally talk about burnout. But it isn't a sign of being weak. It's a sign of being worn out. It's a sign that your physical and your emotional reserves just all got used. And I want to say to some of you, don't think that you're so superhuman that you won't get to that point. Because I work with a whole bunch of people who have got to that point incredibly successful businessmen, people in the church, people volunteering, psychologists. I read a report the other week that said that um, in a big study that 50% of psychologists um, are actually struggling with depression. 50%. How much of that do you think is burnout because of the level of stuff that they're carrying? Most of it, I would suggest. So never think that you're above this because as far as I'm aware, everybody in this room is human. If you're not... Keep that to yourself. But as far as I'm aware, we all are, in which case, we're all prone to this. And we have to take it seriously. We have to respect it. You know, I, I, I love to push the limits. I, I, as far as I'm aware, we only get one chance at this life. I want to do everything possible to do. I love what I do. I love my job. I love my kids. I love church. I pack everything in. And I'm all for pushing the limits. But I'm very respectful of stress because I know if one thing has the power to stop me doing all of that... It's if I don't manage stress well, because I'll end up exhausted or ill or broken, and then I won't be able to do any of it. So we have to be particularly aware of what our own danger points are. And I want to talk quickly about a few classic danger points, because the one thing we're aware of with stress is that some people are more prone to it than others, And a lot of people I see, they'll say, it's just so frustrating. I'm surrounded by people who seem to be able to manage all this stuff. And, you know, some people love stress. They thrive on it. My husband is one of those. He's so annoying. If we have to catch a train or a plane, right? sometimes my husband and I commute together to London, just by chance, because we're both going in. So if we're on the same train, I leave the house a good 10, maybe 15 minutes before he does. Because I like to walk to the train, I like to have time to buy myself a cup of coffee, and I like to casually wander onto the train and sit myself, hopefully in a seat, if I'm lucky, realistically, probably not if I'm commuting. But I like that calmness. My husband will arrive as the doors are beeping. I'll look up and I will see him at the top of the stairs, coat streaming behind him, toast in one hand, backpack in the other. And he throws himself onto the train. And this is what he does every day of his life. He loves it. There, in, his, in his eyes, there is nothing better... No better way to start a family holiday than nearly missing the flight. (laughs) It's just so much fun. Uh, He did that recently when my mother was with us, and he did say afterwards that maybe it wasn't the best way to start a holiday with your mother-in-law with you, because she wasn't very amused by physically running across Luton Airport. (laughs) Anyway... Some people thrive off it, but some of us, we're not built that way, and we struggle more with stress. It affects us more. So here are some classic ways. See if you recognize any of these things in yourself. And the first one is the whole kind of introversion, extroversion thing, which you all have heard about. So as a psychologist, I feel it's my duty to inform you that most of what you read about psychology in the papers is nonsense. But um, there is some genuine stuff around this introversion, extroversion. And roughly speaking, the theory is that it's to do with where your baseline level of arousal is. I don't mean like getting excited arousal. I mean like is your brain switched on arousal? And the theory is, is that some people have a really quite low baseline. They would be the extroverts. So they love anything that's, that's stimulating, exciting, people, drama, noise, all of that sort of stuff. They're drawn to it. They crave it. My husband would be one of those people. Some of the rest of us giving no clues which end of the spectrum I would lie on, we're quite, you know, turned on enough, as, as it is. Thank you very much. I don't feel I need to run across the length of Luton Airport to feel alive. But there you go. <laughs> so the more introvert you are, what's interesting is that we know from research, the more at risk you are from stress. And if we look at studies of burnout, we see again and again and again that the more introvert people are, the, the higher the chance that they will struggle with burnout. Why? Because a lot of the, the world that we live in is, is, is great if you're my husband. You know, the buzz, the deal, the, the, the being late, the chasing stuff. But for those of us who are more introverted, it's more stressful. Big groups of people. You know, it is so hard in our 21st century life to just find a moment of quiet sometimes. Everything's about buzz and noise. And that's great. Don't get me wrong, I love that stuff. But I also quite like it sometimes if everybody just goes away. My daughter, who is also a classic introvert, when she was three years old, because she was one of those girls who's just very talkative and chatty, unlike my son, who apparently at four now, boys just grunt. That's just normal. But she was very articulate, and she once said to me, Mommy, I just feel like I need to be somewhere where you are not. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's, that's such an introvert statement. <laughs> So if you're in that group, be aware. Do all the buzz stuff, because I love it. You know, I love lots of people, but make sure you schedule in some time where it's just you, where you get to chill out, or maybe just you and one other people. You know, it's that dinner... The classic joke with introverts is that if you have a dinner party, why, why would you ever want to have more than four, at least six people? I, why would you ever want to invite more than those, that number of people to your home? My husband likes every social event we be to be a room crammed full of people. I just like two or three I can chat to properly. So if you're an introvert, be aware of that and make sure you give yourself space to be. The second one is perfectionism. Now, any perfectionist in the house... Two of my friends have just written a good book on this, which I don't have yet, unfortunately, but um, keep an eye, it's called The Perfectionism Book. See what they did there with the title. Um perfectionism is about people who push themselves to the limit they want to achieve highly um, they set themselves really high goals if they achieve them they tend to move those goals they're the people who cannot just go for a casual jog around the park they have to time themselves or get a Fitbit. or before you know it they're training for the london marathon they're those sorts of people everything they do becomes about achievement about pushing themselves the good news is perfectionism is linked with extreme success so any almost anybody who's ever done anything impressive has been a high-scoring perfectionist the bad news is is that it puts you at risk of amongst other things struggling with stress so you have to be aware of what sort of pressure are you putting on yourself do you when you when you set goals do you always set yourself up to fail because if you achieve them you just move the bar higher are you one of those people who you're not satisfied unless your day or your work or whatever it is is 100 percent perfect Because I don't know how many people here, out of interest, had a 100% perfect day today. No? Nobody? (laughs) So if you're aiming at that for your whole life, you will be disappointed. I don't care how brilliant you are you will be disappointed. And my my husband, see, I'm not being recorded so I can use him for all these examples. He knows I do it. It's fine. Um, He, the worst thing for my husband to do at the weekends is DIY. A, because he's not very good at it and B, because he's a perfectionist. So the last time I let him paint a wall, we spent the next three years living in that house. Every time he sat down uh, and it was the wall opposite our bed, he would sit in bed and he'd say, oh, I can see a smear. I could see nothing, it looked fine to me. But th- he was dissatisfied for the rest of our time in that house with the wall. He even wanted to repaint it when we came to sell the house. Do you know what? No one noticed it. It's amazing. So if you're a perfectionist, how do you know? Here are, there are, um, is, it, is there ten? I think there are 10. ten. Top ten signs you're a perfectionist, so you can amuse yourself reading those. Or you can just skip to the last one, which is how you really know. Is anybody being driven crazy by the error in the title? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. So you know, perfectionists you spot every little thing. Joking aside, you know what, my husband, he is a brilliant lawyer. If you ever need a lawyer, my husband is the best because he he spots everything. He likes to say he's not being negative, he's just pointing out the pitfalls. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're a perfectionist, be careful because if you point out the pitfalls in everything, it's stressful. And it also gets quite depressing. And if it doesn't bother you, it might bother the people around you. So be aware of that as a potential cause of stress. The next thing to think about, number three, is um, empathy. Now, here's an interesting one. I find this fascinating as a psychologist. So we all have different levels of empathy, how well we feel that we understand people, how well we feel on a sort of emotional level with people. You know, there's always those people who can sort of tell what somebody's feeling or thinking, stuff like that. What's interesting is that we know that the the more instinctively empathetic you are, again, the more risk you are to struggle with stress. And the reason why is to do with the picture that hopefully you've got there, which is of what's called a mirror neuron. Now, mirror neurons are cells in your brain and they were discovered when they were doing some research uh, looking at the way that monkeys' brains responded to th- things. I don't know, eating a banana or something, something monkeyish. And they realized there was a monkey once who still had the, the, the sort of measuring st- apparatus on his head and was watching another monkey do the same thing. And they realized, to their amazement, that his brain was lighting up as though he was doing it. He wasn't doing anything. He was just sitting watching. And from this discovery came a whole fascinating area of research into mirror neurons. Look it up. It's really interesting, which is about the cells you have in your brain that when you witness somebody else doing something mundane or going through something, fire in your head as though it was happening to you. And there's debate about this, I'll be honest with you, but there is a, there's quite a strong body of theory that says that for those of us who are very instinctively empathetic, when you see someone else experiencing something emotional, not only are you watching it, but you're literally experiencing it yourself to a degree as well. So I don't know if there's any people sort of in the house tonight who feel that. I know I've worked with people who will say, it's physically painful for me to watch someone in distress. And I know I've had people who will say, please, please, can you go and do something about that? Because it's just—it's upsetting me so much to see someone else in distress. Those are the sort of people that we're talking about. Now, of course, if you're like that, you're very drawn to caring professions, to probably to be a psychologist, doctors, nurses, all those sorts of professions. But you're also going to experience a lot of stress as a result of being in that profession. And um, I, used to, I used to work with a guy who used to say that the best sort of psychologists were, were actually quite cold and quite unemotional people. And that's because they cope a lot better with being around a lot of distress. The more naturally empathetic you are, the higher your stress level will be. So we need to challenge how we understand people. And maybe sometimes the best people to be carers or in caring positions are not those people who are instinctively the most drawn to it because they might actually really struggle with the level of distress. Genuinely, I work, with, I work with a team of people who work in our church and in our community and in the schools with people who are struggling emotionally. And there are people on that team who are so empathetic. There's cases I can't give them because it would just, it would break their hearts. So the cold, unemotional people get all of those. But you need to be aware again, where's your physical level? And you know what? Even all of us struggle. If you are constantly working with people who are dealing with distress, you will take some of that on yourself. So what I'm talking about is we need to be aware of how we care. And I love the Mumford and Sons Sons song that says that we should, I will love with urgency, but not with haste. We need to, yes, Be instinctive. Go with your instinct if you're a carer. But don't be so hasty that you don't think about it. Because if you're really instinctively empathic, you want to be doing this long term. And when I'm speaking in a couple of weeks at the Christian Psychologist Conference, and I'll be saying to them, you know what, I'm assuming you're in this because you want to do it for your life. So if you want to do it for your life, you're going to have to get better at managing this because otherwise the risk is you will burn out two, five, ten years in and you won't get to do this long term. So the more passionate you are about your caring, the more careful you should be about how you manage the stress it triggers. Okay, number four of the ways that you can be more prone is, be careful about what you do with negative emotions. So there's a whole bunch of negative emotions. And I've already talked a little bit about anxiety. So some of us are more prone to anxiety than others, maybe because of stuff to do with our personality. So people who are perfectionists often are people who also struggle with quite a lot of anxiety and worry. Maybe it's to do with stuff from things we learned as we were growing up, whatever. Some of us are more prone to anxiety. Some of us are in life situations where, because of our role, maybe at home or in work, we have to deal with a lot of other emotions. Frustration, for example. So any teachers in the house tonight, you know, teachers or parents, frankly... Because children drive you crazy. No one tells you that before you have them. They're all like, oh, it's so wonderful. It's such a joy. They drive you crazy. And I've never been a teacher, but I assume they drive you even crazier if they're not your own. (laughs) So if you are a teacher or if you are working in one of those very caring roles, it wouldn't be appropriate if when I'm sitting with someone who's trying to work through something very traumatic... I required some extra support for my crying as well as theirs. So I have to manage my emotions in that moment. As a teacher, it would do you no good if you lost it every time you got irritated by one of your students. I don't know how you do it. Ten minutes on my daughter's maths homework, and I feel I'm ready to strangle her. So you know, a whole day teaching, you have to get good at managing frustration. Other situations, people who are entrepreneurs, that great entrepreneurial spirit, the um, literature around entrepreneurs talks about people who have a basic dissatisfaction with the status quo. They've got this kind of ticking, I want to change things, come on, we've got to improve this, do it better. Those people deal with a lot of frustration. So if any of those things are you, you need to be really, really hot on how you manage stress because your higher level of emotion triggers the same stress systems. Remember, fight or flight. So frustration, anxiety, worry, all of those emotions trigger your stress system. And they're so closely linked. The higher your baseline is, the harder you'll find it to deal with those emotions. The more of those emotions you're dealing with, the higher your baseline will be. So if you're one of those people who is dealing with a lot of one of those kinds of emotion you need to get better at it. I love this quote this is um there's a guy called Henry Marsh he's a professor he's a brain surgeon he's just retired and he wrote a book called Do No Harm and um you'll see the quote on the stream he says that as a surgeon you learn from an early stage of your career to accept intense anxiety as a normal part of the day's work and to carry on despite it. I don't know about you but I kind of assume that brain surgeons got over intense anxiety If someone was operating on my brain, I'd probably have chosen someone who wasn't intensely anxious about it. Do you know what I think? But this guy is an amazing brain surgeon, groundbreaking. And yet what he says, no, it never goes. You just have to get used to dealing with it. So if you're in one of those positions, I don't know, maybe there's a brain surgeon here tonight, but where your job triggers a lot of emotion, that probably won't go. But you will need to get better at dealing with it. So we have to understand that our natural way of managing stress is not to avoid it. So everything that I've talked about this evening so far is probably very disappointing to lots of you who are hoping to come and learn how to avoid stress. You can't avoid stress. It's everywhere. And unfortunately, lots of people who come to see me, they, what they are told, if they go to their doctors, they have one that's related to stress, is do less drop something, give something up. And the thing is, my frustration with that is that I am one of those people I want to push the limits. But also, I I kind of want you guys to push the limits. I want everyone to reach their potential. I want you to get the most out of life. Do all that stuff that you want to do. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of you probably do need to do less, because there's that whole being human thing, only 24 hours in the day, You know when the the clocks go back and you get an extra hour? I always think that's the perfect day. Just one more hour a day is pretty much what I need. So some of us sometimes do need to do less. Some of us, though, we just need to recognize that if we want to do more, if we want to do all the things we're doing, we have to get really good at managing stress because it will be a part of our everyday experience. So there's this basic rhythm of how we manage stress, of work and rest and then work, and then rest. And people get it wrong in some ways. So some people, they don't, they don't really do a lot of work. They're really good at the resting, but they don't do a lot of work. Yeah, we've all known some of those. But a lot of us, actually, it's the rest thing we're not very good at. And particularly in our 21st century life, we don't get a lot of chances to rest, and there's actually a lot of things that intrude on our rest time. And we need to recognize that we do have limits, And if you don't respect your limits, your body or your brain will force you to respect them. So, in terms of how we manage stress, it's not about somehow getting a magic wand out, although I would like one of those. It's about going back to basics in terms of what we understand about stress and how we manage it. And it's about taking it really seriously. Because, as I say, with our emotional health, to be honest, it's a bit like we do with our physical health when we're younger. You take it for granted until you hit a problem. But we need to start thinking about stress before it becomes a problem. And there's basic things we need to build into our rhythm that will help us to manage it. So to finish, I'm going to give you five basic things that I think are crucial to staying sane, if you like. To pushing the limits but managing not to fall over the edge of them. So number one is about rest. Now, rest is you know it's one of those things i talk a lot to teenagers and they have no real concept of what rest is by rest i mean relaxing physically relaxing mentally and the thing about rest is is that very easily we can see the time in our calendar where we're resting as wasted time so my, my husband, he, he, we always joke that he has to have input at all times. So when we go on holiday, we, we, my daughter, she's got a little eye touch, and she sets the timer for how long before Daddy says, what's the plan? Because he likes to have a plan, and he gets quite tense if he doesn't know what it is. He's getting better, though. We do things like we force him to go and lie by a swimming pool for a week, and after a couple of days, he starts to relax. But the thing is, is that if you're like him, and to be honest, if you're like me, if you want to do loads, if you want to pack it in, if you don't want to do less, then you have to get good at doing rest. Because if you don't, you'll burn out. It's that simple. I don't know when, maybe next week, maybe years time. I don't know. But you are human and eventually you will. So you have to get really good at it. And how do you have to get good at it? You have to learn to schedule it in. So what tends to happen, isn't it, is that in your diary, you put everything else in. And then you think, oh, where's my free time? Where is my free time? When did I used to have that? You know, it's like when you have children, you think, what did I used to do before I had children? I must have had all this time. But it should be the first thing that you schedule into your diary. So I always say to people, ideally, every day you should have a slot of rest time. I don't, I don't know what it is. It doesn't need to be fancy. Grabbing a cup of tea, um, you know, having a quiet moment, reading before you go to sleep. I don't, Take up listening to the archers. Whatever it takes, have some rest time, some brain-dead, mindless time where you can just relax, where you can switch off. Be careful as well of things that feel like rest but actually are quite stimulating. So one thing that I find a lot when I work with guys is that what they do when they're not working is they play video games. So they get out the PS, whatever number it is now, or they go and kill zombies. Strangely popular amongst church leaders, actually, killing zombies. I don't know what that's about. But anyway, so they come home and they kill zombies for two hours and then they go to bed. Killing zombies is actually quite stressful for your brain. You'd think you could just do it and it wouldn't affect you at all, but it is actually quite stressful. It's a lot of fun and it's very cathartic if you've had a frustrating day, from what I understand. But it's quite stressful for your brain. And if you think about those hormone levels, it's triggering a lot of the same adrenaline, the same hormones that you're actually trying to reduce. So fun as it is, try and find some time when you're doing something that's a bit more relaxing. Um, The same thing goes for, like, um, super scary films. Anything that's a bit of an adrenaline rush, it's triggering the hormones that you actually want to drop. So do it, because it's a great mind release but it's not physically relaxing. So when we're talking about rest, find something that's actually restful. And um, if you're interested in ideas and thoughts about that, we we might talk about it in the Q&A time, but in, I think, both of the books I've written, I go through a a sort of list of different categories of stuff that might work. You have to be quite analytical about it and try and find what works for you. Because some people, you put them in one situation that somebody else would find really relaxing, and they actually get quite stressed about it. So... You have to work out what works for you, but work out how to rest and then do it regularly. Number two is something about boundaries. Now, I cannot harp on about this enough in today's age, because you know, I remember very clearly the day that my husband got his first BlackBerry. And he said to me, it's just amazing because people can get hold of me all the time. And I was like, I know, but people can get hold of you all the time. And it is great. And you know what? I have my iPhone. I'm picking up emails. I am the worst at this. But again, it's really bad for your stress levels. And some of you may have read in the press not so long ago, there was a big study. Again, what's the one single thing about the way that you live your life that can predict how stressed you are? It's how often do you check your emails? And what's interesting is that what they had as their sort of what they considered to be a normal, healthy level was checking them something like once a day. You think, get who does that? I'll tell you who does that. It's the people I've emailed and I'm waiting for a response from. <laughs> I don't know who else does that. So the base, like, the bar they were setting was really low. People like, well, me, to be honest, who check them all the time, the people I like emailing because they reply back. Except when you were trying to get rid of emails. You know when you're trying to go through your inbox and you reply to a load of emails and then the whats it start replying back. And you think, go away because I'm trying to get my email list down. But the more you check your email, the more stressed you will be. So watch your boundaries. You know, watch out. When does work finish and when does rest start? Because actually, that's a really hard question to answer these days. When does work finish? Um, That's interesting. I I mean, I'm kind of freelance. I have a couple of part-time jobs. I juggle it with my kids. I don't really know. When my son says to me, are you going to work today? I don't really know what he means by that because I work at home and I work at work and I work in other places. Where's your boundary? And what I would say to you is the key is to find some time somewhere in your schedule which is just work free, turn off the phone, switch off your email. When you go on holiday, please, for the sake of your sanity and your family, think about leaving the BlackBerry or iPhone at home. I know, I don't like to do it either, but it's good for your stress levels and it's good for the stress levels of your family too. So think about that. Particularly watch out for what I call topping and tailing. So you know you've had a day off and you're, you get into bed, you're about to switch off, go to sleep, and what do you do before you go to sleep? who checks their email, come on, honestly, yeah, I I do, I do, and I have to, God, I've got to stop that, so, and you know what, when you do that, it's like fate smacks you in the face with it, because if somebody sent you a horrible email, you will read it at half past 11 at night, and you won't sleep, and you have only yourself to blame for it, so stop topping and tailing your rest time, if you've had a rest day, enjoy it, take the whole day, don't waste it by checking your email before you go to bed. Number three is about your emotions. Did you know that your emotions are like the warning lights on the dashboard of a car? They are there for a reason. They're not there just to be ignored. You know when you're doing a long journey and you just you stick a bit of gaffer tape over the warning lights because you can't really deal with that right now. A lot of us are doing that with our emotions. So notice your emotions. They're there for a reason. They're your brain's way of signaling to you that something important might be going on. And I often say that dealing with emotions is a bit like trying to get an angry cat into a box. I, who has cats? Because if you don't, you're, just, you're not going to understand this next bit, so just bear with me. We we took two cats all the way to Paris, and we only brought one back because they were quite old. But that was, that was quite stressful, trying to get a cat into a box. There's a lot of yowling. Um, there's a lot of Paws going everywhere. It took three of us to get two cats into one box to take them to France. It was quite a big box. On the way back, we discovered to our joy that cat number two has worked out how to get out of said box. That was fun. Halfway down the auto route, my son went, cat out! And we were like, Yeah, no, no, the cat's in the box. He said, It isn't, mummy. And then my daughter went, it really isn't. And we had to try whilst going down the auto route um, to get the cat back in the box. And then we had to gaffer tape the cat into the box. So when you get to the Euro Tunnel and you have to give a vet check and everybody's there with their very pleasant animals in their nice smart boxes and we come in with the gaffer tape box and start peeling off the tape. I think everyone wondered what we had in there. Anyway, the cat was fine. But if you... If you suppress your emotions, if you try to ignore them, if you try to push them down, it's a bit like that. And I know that we all have to do it sometimes. And actually, part of healthy adult emotional control is the ability to do that. But if it's the only thing you know to do with your emotions, if you have to deal with a lot of negative emotion, if you don't find times when you can release that emotion, it's like that cat in the box. It's physically hard work keeping it in there. And it doesn't just disappear. You know it's there. Honestly, trust me, seven hours from Paris to Hitchin, meow, 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 after the first half hour, that gets really boring. And you turn the radio up, you can still hear it. So you know they're there, but most of all, and joking aside is, if you do that a lot, I don't want to be around when you have to open the box. And what happens to us is when we're tired, when we're weak, when we're vulnerable, when we've had one of those awful days is that some of that emotion can just engulf us. And again, we've all had it happen, you just suddenly feel dreadful and you don't really know why. And it's because the stuff that you didn't deal with earlier in the day has has suddenly come out. And if you do that habitually, it's like you have a sort of bubbling pool of nasty emotion. And that's where people often get into trouble using stuff to try and deal with their emotions, whether it's, it's drink, self-harm, food, whatever it is, is because you've got this pattern going on with your emotions. So... Pay attention to your emotions, and if you're struggling with them, get some help. It's okay to admit that you sometimes hit problems with your emotions. We all do. Everybody does. Number four is about balance, and really, I've talked about this a lot already. It's about that thing of of how you balance. You know we talk about work-life balance, don't we? Some of you are juggling way more than just work and life. You're juggling work, life, kids, Volunteering—I don't know what it is. It's a lot more than just. It would be so. Wouldn't life be simple if it was just work and life? It's it's busy. So, do push the limits. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. But know when to stop. Know where your limits are. Know where the balance is. Know when you're pushing it too far. You know, we all have times like that. I have times where I think I just I need to take some time off. I need to just not do this for a bit. I need to chill out. I need to re, refuel, recharge myself. Because we all have limits. So if you know you're getting close to them, do something about it. And get good at noticing the warning signs, you know, when you know that you're getting close to the the water levels rising. Don't just ignore it. Do something about it. And number five um, is sleep. Now, I have some very key and very important advice for you about sleep. So, you know, we're drawing to the end, I'm sure. Would you like to hear my very key and important advice about sleep? It is get some basically that's it and I know that a lot of people struggle to sleep and believe me if you're stressed that's one of the first things that goes is for a lot of people you'll start to struggle to sleep your brain struggles to switch off those hormones are all about keeping you alert keeping you activated keeping an eye on anything that might be going wrong you then try and go to sleep your brain's like are you kidding me no so you it is the most common thing for people to struggle with as part of stress. But do you know what the the most common reason for people not to get enough sleep is? They don't spend enough time in bed. They don't go to bed. And the most common thing that's associated, again, in a recent study with not sleeping well enough, is procrastination, you know? You're, um, You're about to go to bed. Honestly, you are. But then you flick on the TV, and there's a fascinating documentary on the history of the umbrella... And you become inextricably absorbed in it. And before you know it, it's one in the morning. Or one of those weird late-night films that you just have to know how it ends. Or, you know, the, the curling, when the Winter Olympics is on. Who stayed up really late watching curling? Why? I, you know, some of you are going to be really insulted now because you think that's actually a really gripping sport. So, but. Go to bed! And I say this to myself regularly most nights. Go to bed. Why is it every night I intend to be in bed by this hour and then it's pushing midnight by the time I get there? Mostly it's just because I don't get up and go there. So we need to value sleep. We need to recognize it is one of your most key defenses against stress because when you sleep, your body switches off, your baselines drop. If you're not getting enough sleep and Serious health studies have shown, particularly if you're really not, if you're under six hours a night, you are at increased risk of a bunch of stuff. Sleep is absolutely crucial for your brain and your body. So, if you are struggling with it, in all seriousness, if something is affecting your sleep, which, let's face it, is usually children, snoring husbands, whatever it is, deal with that. Get some help, look into some support, talk to your GP, whatever it is. Take it seriously, because you need to sleep. This isn't just about you being a namby-pamby person who wants a bit of a lion. You need to sleep. It's important. If you're struggling to sleep, again, deal with it. There's good evidence that CBT cognitive behavioral therapy can really improve the way you sleep. Simple relaxation exercises can improve your chances of dropping off to sleep. Take it seriously and um, do whatever you need to do to get more. Watch out for backlit devices. You've probably heard about this in the press. Again, there's good evidence now that if you're doing a lot of reading before you go to bed from a backlit device, so think iPad, iPhone, laptop, particularly. There are cells in the back of your eye that um, trigger your sleep wake cycle. And that light sh- hit bounces straight onto them, so your brain thinks it's daytime. So it, it makes it harder for you to drop off to sleep. And if you're somebody who gets frustrated easily, then you're frustrated that you're not asleep, and then you really won't sleep. So think about that. The official advice, I think, is to turn them off like an hour before you go to bed. Or just turn the light down as much as you can bear if you have to use one. Or don't, you know, check your email at the end of the day and then turn it off so be careful with that stuff the message of all the things I've been talking about is one about taking charge of how you manage stress we need to be less passive about it and more active in terms of how we deal with it not in terms of running away and cancelling half of what we do because I don't think that that's what the message should be. If I tell you that the way to deal with stress is to stop doing half of what you do, I'm not helping you deal with stress. I'm teaching you to run away from it. So do all that stuff. Push the limits. But be active, be proactive about how you manage stress. Because um, I just want to finish this. This is one of my favorite quotes. It's, It's from the Bible. But it says that more than anything we guard, we should protect our mind. Why? Because your life flows from it. Everything you are is up here. Everything you interact, everything that you are to your family, your friends, the people who love you, everything that you are in your job, everything that you do comes from up here. And stress has a massive impact on your mind. It affects your memory, your ability to focus on things, how easily your emotions are triggered. It exhausts you. So protect the thing that you value the most and um, be careful about how you manage stress. Great. And now we can get a break.
1: Great. Let's say thank you to Kate... So some, some people have obviously headed off to take Kate's advice and have gone to bed, and the rest <laughs> of us who are really, really stressed have stayed here to try and pick up some extra tips. Um, great. The question, If we could keep the, the question number on the screen, Matt, um, if you do have other questions, text them in as we go. We, we probably won't get to all of them, but um, if there's a theme coming up, we'll definitely try and address that. So um, the first thing to say is quite a few people have texted in about... Um, struggling with anxiety so okay yeah a, a yep. c- couple of the examples were uh how do you cope when you find that you are stressing over silly things how do you cope when you find basically everything in your life seems perfect everything you don't have major there's nothing major going wrong but you're still constantly worried ab- okay, and yeah. anxious
0: so there's a couple of things to do about anxiety and it, on the bookstool there is a little book it is little, but it's useful, It's which I wrote on managing anxiety. So you might find that interesting. But there's two things you need to think about. If you're the sort of person who's prone to anxiety, I cannot emphasize enough how important your baseline is. So keeping, trying to keep your baseline stress and anxiety level low is really important. I met with someone just the other day for whom this is definitely an issue. So if you know you're that person, you have to be absolutely hot on every day doing something that's relaxing, keeping an eye on your schedule, making sure you get time out, practicing relaxing. I know that sounds really weird, but very few of us instinctively know how to relax. Um, I remember when I was a med student, I struggled so much with stress and I had to learn to do it. I remember like running hot baths and getting in them and lying there trying to relax and feeling more and more stress. And I had to learn how to do it. And this is what I talk about in the stress books about being quite analytical, you know. Get, do a survey of all your mates. Um, what do they do to relax? Get as long a list of ideas as you can and then try them and be really an- analytical, you know. Put a slot in as often as you can, at least a few times a week. Every day is great. Half hour, choose one thing off the list, give it a go and then think afterwards. How did that work? Did I feel more or less stressed at the end? Um, And see what works. Remember, there's two things for relaxation: there's relaxing your mind and there's relaxing physically. You 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 need to do both, ideally. Some people they find that it's quite easy to switch off their mind. If you're prone to anxiety, you're probably somebody who struggles a bit with that. So you have to be clever. So if you if you if you get in the bath, you have to take something to read. And and don't take, you know, a textbook or the latest report you have to finish for work. Take as trashy as possible. You know, totally mindless. Like I said, listen to the archers. I listen to the archers in the bath. It's very relaxing, whatever you need to do. So you need to occupy your mind as well. So there's that. The other thing that you need to do for anxiety is think about um, what are your triggers? Why is your brain triggering so much? So anxiety is a bit like a smoke alarm. So hopefully we all have smoke alarms in our house. When your smoke alarm goes off, does it mean that there's a fire? Anybody? No? Hopefully not. What was the last thing in your house that set off the smoke alarm? Toast? Yeah, toast. The grill. Normally it means one of my kids is trying to do something with the grill. Hopefully not the four-year-old. Um, so your anxiety can be like that. It, it, it triggers too often. It's got too sensitive. And often that's what's happening. And... The process of CBT cognitive behavioural therapy is about learning what is triggering your emotion. So if you really struggle with anxiety, you can do some work to try and understand that better. And there is a free course for CBT available through the Mind and Soul website. So if you're interested in that, there's a free CBT course that was written by a guy who's one of the country's leading experts on CBT. The course is called uh, Living Life to the Full. Um, and you can get to it through mindandsoul.info. If you're looking for Mind & Soul, remember mindandsoul.info because there are lots of other Mind & Soul type websites and they're not us. So very important to get the right one, mindandsoul.info. And you can click on courses there and you'll see links to that through there.
1: Great. Brilliant. Okay, another question is how do you recover from a burnout? So if someone's got to that stage where they've, as you described, completely burnt out, what are the things to do to, I suppose, yeah, yeah. to recover? okay,
0: that, that's, that's a good question, and I, I do get asked that a lot. So um, what's, what's hardest about burnout is that you do just have to stop. That's, that's really it. <laughs> it. There isn't anything I have that's more clever, except that it's really frustrating. Sometimes when you burn out, it can take an incredibly long time to recover physically emotionally to get yourself back on your feet you can get some help with that stuff you can get help with physical stuff in your gp you can get some help in terms of dealing with your emotions the the frustration you feel about having burned out is something that often people benefit from some support from but basically it is about time and it is about giving yourself time and space and headspace to recover i think how long it takes depends how how long you took getting up to the point of burnout in the first place But it it can take a long time, so...
1: Great. Okay. Uh, Two people asked the question about what your view of mindfulness is. I think you might need to explain what mindfulness is and then what your view is. I'm
0: so glad you asked about that. So mindfulness is is very popular at the moment. And um, a lot of you may have heard something about it having roots in Eastern mysticism or Buddhism and stuff like that. Mindfulness is something that those... Um, spirituality approaches they do they do practice it but it, it wasn't theirs to start with so mindfulness literally means what are you mindful to what do you focus your attention on so those of us who are christians the bible talks about mindfulness it says um there's a psalm that says what is man that you are mindful of him talking about god so saying what what is man that you pay attention to him basically So mindfulness as a process, as a practice, is about thinking about what your mind is focused on. So most of us, most of the time, your mind is focused on like a zillion things. And one of the original texts about mindfulness talks about what do you think about when you're washing the dishes. So when you're washing the dishes, what do you think about? Do you think about the things you've got to do next, the, the job where your kids are, all the million things going through your head, or do you just think about washing the dishes? And it talks about when's the last time you really washed the dishes? And thought about, you know, like the bubbles and the pretty colours and you felt the sensations of the warm on your fingers and the squeak of the plate. It gets more excited than I do about washing dishes. But the point is really interesting. It's about what do you focus your attention on? So mindfulness practice is about two things. One is about simplifying how much stuff is going through your head. So the practice of just focusing on something small, something simple. So there are practices in mindfulness that are great for relaxation. Simple things like um, trying to identify every sound you can hear. If you can't sleep, this is a fun one, although not my, my husband's one of those people that ticking clocks, dripping taps, he can't... It'll, driving crazy so not if you're that sort of person but go out for a walk somewhere and then sit and identify every sound you can hear the birds the sound of the wind in the trees that's mindfulness it's about narrowing your attention to one thing or there was a study recently that seriously said that if you spent half a, no not half an hour if if you focus when you wash up the dishes once every day it reduced your stress levels so you could mindfully wash dishes Or you could go for a mindful walk, um, be really aware. Don't, don't have a podcast on or something. Just go and listen to the sounds and feel the sensations. In the summer maybe, um, I've heard, which is quite fun, if you take your shoes off and go for a barefoot mindful walk and you can feel all the sensations sort of on your feet and stuff and maybe avoid gravel. But um, <laughs> you can do stuff like that. So it's great for stress. The other thing that mindfulness is great for is becoming more aware of your emotions. So we all have a, like an emotional dialogue Um, or a monologue, really, in our heads. What's your thought process is? How is that interacting with the emotions? So if you struggle with anxiety, for example, what are the thoughts and things that are feeding and fueling that anxiety? And mindfulness used in conjunction with cognitive behavioural therapy helps you be better aware of the thoughts that you're having and of how they link to your emotions. So it's using skills about what you focus your attention on to understand yourself better. Because usually we ignore ourselves and our emotional state. And unless it becomes so significant that we can't ignore it anymore. So that, in a nutshell, is what mindfulness is about. If you're interested in it, particularly if you're interested in it from a Christian perspective, if you look on the Mind and Soul website, there's links to lots of great resources about mindfulness there.
1: And, and, and so ju- I wonder if part of what was going on behind the question is, is it okay to do it? And you think, yeah, great.
0: I would say totally But I would say, presumably, somebody's asking from a Christian or a faith-based perspective, so whatever faith you're from, if you're nervous about that, don't be afraid to question the people who are teaching you. Um, Some people will come at it from a very sort of spiritual, spiritual sort of perspective and they might come at it from a sort of eastern approach most people won't so it's a bit like if you do something like yoga some people it's just about stretching other people they like to do lots of chanting so maybe quiz some people and explain that you you'd, you'd like to do it but not from a sort of spiritual approach and if they don't want to answer that question then maybe don't go to them because most good practitioners will talk about that but increasingly people do it who are therapists psychologists counselors who will be doing it just from a more pure sort of cognitive basis. Great. So, yeah, go for it.
1: Great. Another, another uh, practice, or not really practice really, but pe- a couple of people mentioned exercise. And yes. is there any connection between stress and exercise, and how can that help, and any reflections uh, Yeah,
0: on that? so exercise is a weird one, because in the short term it raises your, the hormones, your stress hormones, but in the long run um, it helps you to feel more relaxed. And a lot of that is to do with what the release of what we call endorphins. So they're uh, hormones that help you to physically relax. And I believe, strictly speaking, to release endorphins, you have to exercise at a moderate intensity for at least half an hour. So, <laughs> so that, this is what, you know, people talk about a runner's high When I I try running, I don't feel that high, but apparently some people do feel great after it, and that's probably why. But regular exercise definitely helps. The other thing we know is that exercise, and particularly if you get out of doors, it helps with your emotional health. So you will, in fact, Mm. studies show that if we get people to go out for a walk every day, that has the same level of impact on their emotional health as most of our antidepressant medication. So get outside, go for a run, go for a walk. I like to cycle, whatever it is you do. Um, On the whole, I think it's better to get out of doors than to go in the gym, but if it works for you go down the gym, it would stress me out, but, you know... The, the, the thing to be careful of with exercise, seriously, perfectionists, don't turn it into yet another goal because you start and typically they'll go to the gym and then they start timing themselves or counting the calories that they've burned off. And suddenly it's another goal and you'll see someone, and they're totally stressed out. I'm Why starting are you stressed to feel very out?
1: uncomfortable as we <laughs> have this conversation.
0: Why are you stressed out? Oh, I haven't been to the gym this week. You know, that's, that's not the point. So be careful. Just enjoy it.
1: Noted. I'll, I'll write that down. Um, uh, <laughs> also, a couple of questions about people. So, so from slightly different angles, one was saying, how do you, how do you cope with just um, people-pleasing, I suppose, really? Wh- when you, mm. y- you know, that understanding of boundaries, but you've become known as someone that always says yes, and you find it very hard to say no to people. And another one was, was more from the angle of, how do you cope with people who are particularly stressful when you're, you know, they, they stress you out, they're emotionally yeah. draining. Um, any, any advice?
0: I think both of those questions are about boundaries, really. Um, so, I mean, saying no is a basic boundary. And if you, if you struggle with that, AI would practice saying no. Make sure that you say no to at least, you know, one person every day. Practice some nice ways of saying it. Because sometimes it's just that we haven't rehearsed it in our head and we're just not sure how to do it. So you can, there are some great get outs, you know, I, I, I've, I've listened to some great things about how do you say no politely, so it's like, oh, I would so love to do that, I would really love to do it, but unfortunately I can't, it's just nice, you soften the blow. So you can practice stuff like that, um, and you know, next time you go for coffee with someone as a laugh, you can just think of lo- lots of nice ways of saying no. <laughs> um, Uh, I think you need to look at why you are a bit of a people pleaser. So why do you find it so hard to say no? Is it fueling something in you? And we do have to be wise about that, particularly those of us who are in caring sort of roles. Sometimes if we're honest, we like to feel needed. We like to feel important. And so the reason we find it hard to say no is because it's feeding something in us. And if that's you, then it's something good to work through because the risk is is that you will just burn yourself out. But the other thing is about boundaries. So the stressful people is... These, these people, I mean, if the stressful people are your children, that's a lot more difficult because boundaries are not so much with your own children. But they shouldn't be able to get at you all the time. And actually, joking aside, your kids should not be able to get at you all the time. So this is why managing things like sleep problems with children is so important because we need some time without those small people. Does, I don't care how much you love them, you need some time without them. And if the stressful people are at work or wherever it is, then think about it. Do I have time when I know that they can't get to me? Be careful who you give your phone number to. People are always saying to me, can I have your phone number? And I'm like, and here is my email. And by the way, I have two emails, and that's not the one I check very often. So my regular email... She
1: gave me that email earlier when I asked for it.
0: My regular... The, the email that I actually pick up every day, day, and the one I check before I go to sleep like I shouldn't, I don't give that out to, to everyone because there's certain people I don't want emailing me at half past 11 at night. And I, I'm really, really careful about who I give my phone number to. So, you know, maybe think about that. And if your job involves working with people who are quite stressful, um, think about maybe you have a social phone and a work phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so Because you know how it is you're trying to have a day off, and that's when people phone you. Which is a pain. So if you have a work BlackBerry or iPhone or something, maybe try not to use that as your social phone because then you have a better boundary.
1: Great. Okay, we've probably only got time, I think, for, for one more question. So, um, a, a, a couple of, again, a couple of different questions. You, I think you probably covered a lot of it, but to do with how do you cope if you're in the middle of a stressful situation right now and all the external... Uh, dynamics that are going on are out of your control. So, so one example might be you're in the middle of moving house and you're currently struggling to yeah, sleep okay. at the same yeah. time. What is there anything you can do?
0: Yeah, and we know the most stress, the most stressful, the most anxiety-provoking situations are things where your control is low and/or the certainty is low so you don't quite know what the outcome is going to be so buying houses um stuff at work where maybe you're not sure you know if they're restructuring and you don't know how you're going to come out out of that you have no real control over that stuff so i think the thing to do is about building in sanity slots in your week so I don't know what your sanity slots are, some of them might be quiet times, going for a walk, having a bath, getting away from people, some of them might be spending time with certain people, peaceful time, going out for dinner with your partner or hanging out with a mate, going for a few beers, whatever it is where you just get that relaxation time in your day. Um, I love going to the cinema because it's dark, no one can chat to me, and I turn off my phone when I'm in there, so it's, that can work. Whatever it is, try to find some sanity slots, and you know the, the the single, this is about saying yes, not saying no, quite often when we're in those moments, people say, oh, like, oh how can I help, and you know, can I, can I do that, can I babysit your kids, can I make you dinner, and we're like, oh, no, no, it's fine because we're English and that's nuts next time try saying yes please do take my children when can you have them could could you take them when they're awake because actually when they're asleep that's a lot easier for me so maybe have them for an hour and I'm just going to go for coffee so say yes because people will help you out and very often you have friends family people around you who will want to help so think of some ways they can help maybe they can make you dinner
1: brilliant